said the organic relation to the people and the smaller mm. NGOs. Right. So I like when you yeah. Um. Well, the the concept um the concept I I you know I borrowed the concept from Gramsci and he he speaks of intellectuals as people who educate, who organize, who lead. So it's not only academics mm. um, who, who go to universities and, and do research and so on. Right. So these are people who articulate ideas and disseminate them, but they're positioned at different levels in society. So the ones at higher levels are the ones who who articulate the interests of the, the dominant classes, groups. And they present those articulations as articulations of interests of the entire society. Right. They present them as if they represented everybody's interests. Is, is that something that you would call hegemonic? Well, hegemonic ideology. Yeah. So um, I, 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 I will go back to hegemony um, at, right. at, at another point. But, but the thing is that the lower level intellectuals buy those ideas right. and diffuse them throughout their associations, their classes and groups and so on. So you can you can think of religious leaders, you can you can think of these community association organizers and leaders in, in the staff. So the the distinction Gramsci makes between organic and traditional intellectuals is that the organic intellectuals are intellectuals who have this organic natural relationships with people in their groups. You know, the problem is that Gramsci speaks of these fundamental classes, the, the working class right. and the, the, the bourgeoisie. So if, if an intellectual from the bourgeoisie, for instance, articulates the interests of the bourgeoisie, then he would refer to that person as organic because that person right. represents the, the, the genuinely emerging interests of their right. class. Right. Now, the problem is that... Um, you know, the, the dominant class has the resources to influence these epistemic institutions, to, to influence, yeah. you know, which, which version of knowledge is presented as legitimate. But could, could you give, give a concrete example of them? Um, now, now let's um, think, of, think of the neoliberal ideas. But like, uh, it's Bill Gates or someone, it's like a public figure who, who, who says that well, it's hard. You know, the problem is like it's hard to to just pick someone and, and ah, say, right. oh, look at this person." But if you if you think of the 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 neoliberal world now, these um, corporations and people behind them uh, are in a better position to provide scholarships, right. um, to to finance research, to to support you know university programs so, and publications and TV programs to disseminate their perspective of the world. So you, you could find money to do a PhD in civil society and rule of law, but you could not as easily find a PhD in revolutionary Marxist. I mean, exactly. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's obvious. Yeah, it's um, obvious. <laughs> I, you know, um, at, um, at one of the... Well, I, I didn't go to this particular university, but um, one of my previous supervisors went to, went to this university that wouldn't hire a Marxist economist, no, right. you know, um, and, and um, I found out that a lot of universities have preferences uh, for, um, yeah. you know, neoliberal economists. Right. Where was um, this, Misra? In the U.S., in, in Massachusetts. US. Yeah. yeah. So, 
in the university when I did my masters, um, I, I also heard complaints from um, people who tended to be Marxist economists that they they were marginalized. People wouldn't come to their presentations. So, so well, you know, it could be a a, a, um, a matter of personal preference when it comes to the individuals to right. decide to go to someone's presentation or not, right? But when it is institutionalized, and also when you find out that there are a lot of corporations funding those institutions, their research projects on yeah. economic subjects and so on, then you know it tells you that these groups or societal classes with the financial means can easily use you know this this knowledge creation and dissemination in institutions to, to kind of disseminate their ideas and and also the the intellectuals that you talked about like people who who teach in universities people who conduct research and so on can can be easily bought into that yeah does this uh, tie in with what you said in your presentation that uh, some ideas work globally but not but without coming from the grassroots it, it, yeah exactly but you, even yeah. in, the, in the case of NGOs in Ethiopia mm-hmm. you know part of my research was asking the NGOs where they like how they came up with the the agenda that they advocated on and you know it's very easy for for NGO experts to come up with a laundry list of agenda to to advocate to work on without needing to go yeah. into the community yeah. and converse with the people because they yeah. think they know because those agenda are global now you know like you, I, I can I can simply list I can say uh, yeah. women's rights I can yeah. say um, you know environmental protection yeah. um, I don't even need to think I, I don't even grab. need to think exactly <laughs> so there is this um, hierarchy between the NGO experts and in the people that the, they say they work with that the the epistemic relationship is broken. Ah, that's that, that's, that's where exactly that's when where um, I um, I talked about critical uh, pedagogic right. relationship, right? So where, yeah. So the point is, um, in structural inequality, if you really want to tackle a social order that perpetuates inequality, you need to awaken the people who are marginalized. Right. They need to be able to see the world in a critically different way. Because the problem is now that takes us back to the Gramsci's concept of hegemony. Now when a certain idea is disseminated as the norm, um, it orients people in a certain way that they see their subjugation as normal. Or uh, like there is no better option. Like this there's is the way the world works. There's no exactly. alternative. Yes. Yeah. So like when 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 you see financial crisis and a lot of people become homeless and lose their jobs and so on, the 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 common explanation is like this is the way it is. But but that that goes right back to the days of feudalism, where people didn't expect to get beyond. Uh-huh maybe the age of 30, mm-hmm. and death was the reward mm-hmm. for, for hard work for the system. Exactly. And the system was controlled because of this, controlled by religion. And we've moved on to a world that's controlled by capitalism, and even beyond that, and then you're into neoliberalism. It's, 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 it's a difficult situation, but history shows us that there, there are, have always been suppressed people who are working for a system. 
as soon as you have leaders. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's where I think where you're talking about is where the leaders come from. Gramsci, you know, I've looked at from the Scottish point of view, I think Hamish Henderson mm-hmm. uh, was quite influenced by him back in the forties and fifties, where I mean is that, is that the time scale? I mean where I'm not familiar with Gramsci's writing. Well, he he died in thirty-seven. Yeah, so this would have been fairly new stuff in the forties yes, and fifties. Yes, and the idea that leaders could come organically from not necessarily academics, but from an art perspective, they yes. could come and lead people to, in, in Scotland's case, some kind of nationalist, um, some kind of change within the system. Um, yes. This, you know, I, I, from my perspective, I have to take it from the Scottish point of view, and Scottish is a slightly oppressed part of, of the UK. Yes. Um, or that was the perspective you would say. Right. But, but nothing changes. You know, we, we have, I, I was also thinking when you were talking about um, a concept like climate change and how you have a groundswell that's coming from people who are voiceless, mm-hmm. especially the young. They, they are coming through and there is a voice and people, these people have been forced to listen to this because of the action that they're taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the voices of scientists have been ignored for years. And it, you, you get a groundswell of this, and, and you, you you end up with new voices mm. that come through. But whether they they can defeat the system, because you know the the idea is that somehow or another the voice will will motivate the people to to rise up and exactly. defeat the exactly. system. Yes. But how how does climate change sit in Ethiopia? I mean, that must be a, an, an interesting. Well, you know. It, Again, the same thing. Um, the The discourse comes from outside Ethiopia. So whatever is said outside the country, in the West, um, then the intellectuals amplify that. The, the, the lived experience of climate change hasn't been discovered and articulated uh, and inserted into, into the discourse that goes around. How people in rural areas um, Women who um, who have to walk, you know, three four hours to to fetch water, um, to collect firewoods, um, are affected by it. How farmers are being affected by it. How they uh, perceive the change in terms of the forestation around them, in terms of the rain patterns. We don't care that much about this. We speak of the problem of climate change. But the perspective, the opinion, does not emerge from from the ground. We get it from somewhere else. That, like as you said, that is the problem. Um, we don't we don't speak until we get the vocabulary from somewhere else. Yeah, but when you come to places like Ethiopia, being used, I mean, decades ago, as the epitome of the problems of of climate, to, to be used in and certainly in, in the West. Mm-hmm as the idea that, look, look at Ethiopia, look yes. at the problems they have back in the 80s. Yes. And nothing has changed. But to, to, you, to be used as an example, but then not to make effective changes worldwide and see that this is a global problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is where things get complicated. Yeah. Because you said that uh, Gramsci's theory is not only theoretical and analytical, but it's also directly a practical guide 
right? To yes. Maybe have okay first to analyze the situation, but also at some point <coughs> try to find the means to have a change. Exactly. Because this is also what I sometimes get that for the hegemonic perspective, it's very easy to say nothing's really going on. But then mm. people at the grassroots level say, well, you don't see it, but lots of things are going on. Mm. There are people organizing. Mm -hmm. Is that the case in Ethiopia? And do you think Gramsci or intellectuals versed in the theory of Gramsci could maybe help them? Yeah, yes. Um, one, one really innovative contribution by Gramsci to how we understand the perpetuation of um, a social order that is broken is his, his notion of hegemony. People are not forced to, to stay in such, in such an order. People consent to it. Right. And the, the key to it is the ideology that circulates. You know, when you talked about the 1980s um, famines in, in Ethiopia, people had completely different non-scientific perspectives about, about drought, their fate, and so on. And then later on, responding to the intervention by international NGOs, the, the perspectives kind of shifted. You know, but initially it was, it was, it was just God, it was, it was nature. There was nothing they were able to do. So the government appeared to be as much helpless as everybody else. You know, for, for failing to take initiatives to, to deal with those issues. You know, every, everybody bought what was happening as, as a matter of faith. Right. And then after the, the NGOs intervened, they began to say, well, okay, we don't care if it, if, it, if it didn't rain in Ethiopia, as long as it rains in Canada, as long as we get, you know, the food aid, that should uh, be fine. Well, I know like, that is uh, often talked about as, as a joke. But it, it, it has a certain element to it. So that was how the, the um, significance of NGOs kind of penetrated the, the, the socioeconomic context in, in the country. The, the NGOs occupied this very essential place in the lives of people. That yeah, if, if something goes wrong, then the, the NGOs are there to, to fall back on. Uh, like food. Uh, food aid. Food, yeah. So it, people are for their basic needs already yes. dependent. E exactly. On the, on the, yeah. Exactly. So now NGOs, um, you know, drawing from that experience, that perspective, present themselves as as really the the solutions. The, they're they're essential. They're needed. They're important. Um, so that that is significant. So for Gramsci, like as you said, now the the key to addressing this is is challenging the ideology that is orienting everyone to complacence. Right. You know, um, an, an ideology that significantly represents the interests of a few people, but ignores the rest, uh, but normalizes its brokenness as, as the standard, as something really good for the society, needs to be challenged. So, um, while that is the case, um, for Gramsci, the, 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 the whole thing is how come, despite all these socialist revolutionary efforts, the, the bourgeois state survived? And not only surviving in advanced capitalist societies, it was even going stronger. Mm -hmm. So what is wrong? Mm -hmm. um, so as opposed to the classical Marxist perspective that the, the state employed its 
coercive apparatus to subjugate people, Gramsci realized that he found out that people consented to it. So ideologies played the significant role in, in normalizing the situations. So um, as you said, people need to, need to be helped uh, to, to critically reflect on their positions. A new perspective needs to emerge. It's only when they can think outside the box that they, their discontent with their situation can, can, can be turned into a, a strategy of social change. So for Gramsci, the, the whole thing is challenging the, the, the bourgeois state. So it had political strategies in it as well. That was why like, he, he often s spoke about the, the socialist parties um, and um, you, 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 in, in his case, you know, when he, when he talked about war of position, he said, you know what, directly attacking the state apparatus wouldn't really yield any significant result, as long as civil society is with the state. As, because civil society is this sphere in which ideologies are disseminated, where ideas are formed. Right. So as long as all these intellectuals, all these you know association leaders, etc., kind of support and are convinced by the capitalist ideology, even if you try to demolish the state apparatus, it wouldn't yield. Mm. Like you know, it keeps going on. So he said, instead of that, now let's make it a war of ideologies. Let's buy positions in civil society. Let's convince more people to be critical of it and, and gain new perspectives. So that's how we weaken the ideological footing of the state. But this, is, this sounds pretty hopeful. Then that, that, and I, I think mean, that's the case, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Graham, you, you, you would hope. You, you, you were a bit more cynical. I'm afraid I was born cynical. Um, He's a scholar. The, 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 the difficulty that I see is that the system, if you imagine a system of modernity that promised increased leisure time and promised increased education, better living, you know, a better life for people, and along with that it comes vastly increased leisure time, which allows people to reflect, but that's the reflection and the time that they need to contemplate on the fact that life is not good, so we will revolt against the system. So I think what we're finding now in neoliberalism is that there's a realisation that if we give people too much free time, too much education, let them, give them time to think, they will somehow disrupt the system because they'll see that it's flawed. So what you must do is create a society where you have jobs that don't pay enough for people to live on, so they have to take two or three different jobs. Mm -hmm. And you look upon that and, and you, you sell that as some kind of prosperity. I mean, look at the America, look at Trump saying that, that unemployment is the lowest it's ever been. But there are people who need five jobs to survive. There are, the, the medical system is falling apart. In this country, we have the same thing. So you need, it's almost as if the system reinvents a crisis to give the people so that they can't have the time to think and produce those organic <laughs> leaders. Yes. Um, and I think it's the system becomes self-defeating. Um, and that's one of the most frustrating things about societal change, mm. that it seems that people become content with something that should make them 
discontent. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 you know, that makes us, it should make us reflect on our roles as, as intellectuals and experts. It is not how much education that we gain that matters in terms of our capability to challenge the status quo. It, it's the kind of education, it's the kind of, um, it's, it's the methodology that, that really matters. I, I think um, Paulo Freire's um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed um, is, is a significant contribution. And I think it resonates with, with Gramsci's pedagogic, critical pedagogic relationship. Um, you know, when education is used for emancipation, for freedom, terms of thinking, instead of for domination, dumping what you know into the mind of your student or the public that you speak to um, when you appear on the TV. You know, like the, the distinctions be between, between, between the two are really, really significant. How, what is, is our education being used for? You know, it, it is to, like uh, we, we, we talked about this at the beginning of our conversation. When, when education is used to mold that common person that fits into the system, that the system needs to keep going. And also, like as you said, um, the intellectual who gets better than others um, because yeah. they're being rewarded for, you know, fitting into the system, for, for feeling okay um, about, you know, the, the, the ideology that, that constitutes the system itself. That needs to be disrupted. So th the disruption must occur in our pedagogy how knowledge is created, whose version of knowledge is validated as, 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 a, as appropriate, as, as normal, as, you, you know, um, how can we transform our political and social spaces in a way that they accommodate all these different versions of knowledge? Instead of them being, you know, I was going to say um, colonized, but dominated by one version right of knowledge, one perspective of the world, and anything outside that is punished and pushed out of the system. So, you, you know, that thought is key. So that's where the organic and traditional, are we traditional intellectuals or organic intellectuals? You know, that's the thing. Do we just consume someone else's knowledge and try to reflect on it and transfer yeah. it to others? Or do we really engage in this organic pedagogic relationship with the people? You know, something, yeah. I think uh, this is something uh, as academics that we see a lot, like uh, this, uh, this ideology of uh, publish or perish, mm -hmm. and everybody has to produce something, no matter what the political uh, consequences of that something is. You always have to reflect on yourself. Well, I'm writing this, but why do I write this? Mm. Is it going to benefit anyone? How is it going to change? the world around me. So, right, exactly. And it kind of reminded me, uh, a writer, um, an, an English army leader and writer in the 1640s, Republican, who uh, was advocating for uh, education for uh, the people. Back then it was only men, of course. Uh, but to extend this education so that uh, the, the simple soldier could understand that he's also a citizen. Mm. And he was arguing for education on the classics, you know, to be educated mm. with the classics, and also to attend the theater a lot. 
because he said this this is what you should realize that you have a, another role to play besides your job mm-hmm. so besides being an academic you have another role you have to be a citizen so how do you do that right and uh, i like i like the idea because we have many examples of protests against this neoliberal way of dealing with society they're everywhere we've seen them last year everywhere so maybe it's not the people on the ground and the scientists who are not doing their job or something they are there who are sleeping are intellectuals maybe mm. it's it's the, mm. the absence of charismatic academics so mm-hmm. it's not the point of academics or intellectuals to point to the people well there's nothing going on or everything is over the the, the system is rigged mm. but maybe for intellectuals themselves to say did we do our job did we go for the career or do we mm. want yeah. to be mm. yeah. something else and try to formulate what exactly is going on, not in terms of hegemonic power, see it, but in terms of the people, mm. and unify that or, or mm. somehow articulate mm. that. I, I, you know, I think, uh, again, that takes me back to, back to Gramsci. Because of the, the, the dominant classes, you know, advantage in terms of the resources that it has access to. You know, I, I, I really like um, Marx's uh, reflection on that. Like any, any um, social difference is historical, right? So um, whichever group now has more resources is, is a historical accumulation of surplus. Like you don't, you don't get it overnight. So whoever has more resources can, can manipulate these epistemic spaces, our institutions, the curriculum, the, the education system, and so on. And our children always get enticed to, to get into the same you know, epistemic spaces. So that the, the, the dominant ideology has a vast pool of intellectuals to pick from. You know, those who excel turn out to be, you know, the, the most um, uh, celebrated researchers, you know, um, idea makers and so on. And the other ones uh, become, you know, lower level instructors and so on. And then the rest become, um, you know, TV anchors, yeah. journalists. Um, managers, <laughs> experts, and so on. So that's how it works. Or if you persist, you become homeless. It, well, yeah, exactly. That, that's the thing. Now, I mean, or, or become a politician. <laughs> de- definitely, definitely. So it's not only how all these people are educated for a certain perspective of the world, but you, we should also at the same time think of the counter-hegemonic side, the other side. What pool do we have? What yeah. institutions do we have? What alternative institutions do you have? You talked about publishing. Which peer-reviewed journals are willing to publish ideas that clearly stand out of the convention, right. yeah. the norm? Yeah. I think this is where technology will help. I mean, we, we're already using it as a, a podcast. Mm-hmm. Podcasts can be spread worldwide. Yes. Um, yeah. The ideas, <laughs> they are, well, yeah. in, in theory, the idea can be out there yeah. instantly. Yeah. It, it, can, it can spread itself, and that will be that may make some kind of organic change. Exactly, it's, it's a way for ideas to, to spread. But the, the problem is, there's such mm-hmm. a plur- there's, there are far too many ideas, mm-hmm. and finding the ideas mm-hmm. to weed out the ones that, that that are important, I think, and that that's right. where you need what I feel are the, the lacking. It's these figureheads that are charismatic that will guide people. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we are now faced with figureheads in this society mm. that are, 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 are famed because of their incompetence. Mm. Um, you get the leaders you deserve. I think Marx mm. probably said that. 
among other things. <laughs> and we have the example of that now. We, we have leaders that are completely incompetent, or appear to be incompetent, right. but behind the scenes, the, the, the mechanics are, are operating right. the system. Yeah. Um, and to, to change, you have to have access. We, we no longer need the access to the means of manufacture. We, we need the access to the means of manipulation, which is the way exactly. that we get in. And I, I mean, I use the term mm. we loosely, but any society that wants to change has to see behind the curtain to get beyond the figureheads that are being foisted on us. Yes. Or provide academic figureheads that will somehow help right. to, to educate. Right. Right. Um, an academic should educate the ideas that you learn to teach <laughs> but, th but that ties in also in how do you do that because now academics maybe if they have a chance still have a feeling that they talk down to explain to the people what they should understand mm. but maybe that's also not really the organic relation yeah. that you want to have as an individual right. with the people and they will say who are you uh, that is going to talk to me about this right right so, you know that's one is the like we need to understand when we talk about ideas um you know we're not outside the frameworks of those ideas that's that's why social change is really difficult um in a in a hegemonic context because you think within within the system in my case my research focuses on advocacy so it's it's being as I, as i said voice for the voiceless but what do you do you go to the same people, the decision makers, who have let the system fail those people, expecting that they're going to act now because you're presenting a case to their table. Right, right, right. So you know, it tells you that even the most notorious NGOs are working within the hegemonic system and their, their, their capability to, to transform it is compromised as a result of it. Because the ideology is not only about how you look at the world, but it, it's also about how, which ideas are legitimate to talk about, which ways are legitimate to take your case through. So it's when, when you ask people, they say like, oh, is that possible? But we can't do that. How can we build neoliberalism? Now think of all these huge companies. No, the government wouldn't let you. So all these frustrations are oriented by the same ideology that we try to, to challenge, right? So first, like, we need to really be able to think outside that. And the other one, uh, probably like, I want to uh, reflect on what you said about all these different ideas, all these different initiatives all over the world, but we haven't been able to bring them together right. into a counter-hegemonic block. Block, that's a block. Exactly, idea. because, because when, when you think of neoliberalism, it's not just a few people who are, who are just doing all this. But people, Gramsci talks about traditional intellectuals as deputies of the, the dominant class. They're not in the dominant class, but they carry out this important hegemonic function in civil society by disseminating the ideas and so on. Um, so how can we create the, the counter-hegemonic block? How can we link, like as you said, podcast, website, you know, social media, right. uh, this is street demonstrations, resistance movements all over the world. So how can we, one thing that in, in Gramsci's case, the, the working class lacked was the, the expertise to articulate all these interests and frustrations into theories, into ideologies that are 
kind of simplified so that people can can right. buy them easily because neoliberalism like they don't need to teach us all the um, um, you know economic um, concepts and so on but people really buy the idea people are fine with businesses they, right. they want businesses you know like in, in the case of Ethiopia you know everybody was um, right. advocating for foreign direct investment because you know the the the, right. the, the, the oversimplified argument is like when foreign companies come in they bring in new technologies knowledge and money but what do they do they cleared uh, these huge tracts of land to transfer them to the foreign investors. And to do that, people had to be uprooted from their, no. their villages uh, and put somewhere else, like in new towns and so on. All those costs were considered normal because the, the neoliberal ideology has dissipated throughout society. People are just fine. You, you just grab a random person and they tell you that, oh, new businesses are coming in. Right. You know? So how? So the thing is that it's not only networking, all these different counter-hegemonic initiatives, but it's also being able to theorize an alternative right. interest, yeah. an alternative worldview. And I think that's where academics are needed. But the problem with academics, as you said, is that they're not only educated in a certain way of perceiving the world, but also being rewarded for, for staying there. So it, it, it has consequences on them. Like mm -hmm. for a certain academic to stand out has consequences. Right. You know, yeah. you know sometimes I, when I think of my PhD, um, I, I, I joked about that with DK, I think. It's, it's about at the end of the day, when, when you're done with your PhD, it's like they say, well, you are now one of us. You speak our language, you, you fit into our, our, our framework of thinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you're just so, a new addition. Yeah. So don't turn Nothing your back more. on us. Exactly. You're one of exactly. Us Nothing more. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. So how can we, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. So should we all just walk away from our PhDs now. No, 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 we should do the theory. We should do the theory. Yes, <laughs> oh, well. But, but, but um, maybe, uh, I know that Stefan wants to do a podcast in the future, maybe on socialist strategies, because he's working on populism. We have somebody else on civil society, uh, sorry, civil disobedience. So maybe we could one time yeah. to also, for our viewers uh, or listeners, right. to tease them a bit, have a four-way, five maybe mm. people, and talk about socialist mm. strategy and how that works, mm. also have the different perspectives. Exactly. That would be nice. Um, but would you? Yeah. 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 Before I forget, though, um, <laughs> again, like, I, 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 don't, I don't want to sound that Gramsci is all about consent. In neoliberalism is, is, is just about ideology and consent right. and creating this consensus throughout the globe. That's not the only thing. Um, there, there is also force involved. But, but, you know, force is sparingly used. As long as there is sufficient consensus to, to keep the system going, you know, like states do not need to employ force. So they appear democratic. Right. They appear human, <laughs> human right? Yeah. But you know, um, humanitarian. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think it needs to be proactively anticipated that 
force is definitely involved um, as as something that the hegemonic right. order uses to interfere with the counter-hegemonic effort. I mean, one of your articles was on Extinction Rebellion. Yes. And everywhere that where they turn up, uh, governments are cracking down on what is it that our protesters are allowed to do, basically. So new laws are being made in Germany, maybe also here, to curtail the freedom of... So it seemed as if we already always had this freedom, but if you enact it, then you see certain, suddenly the forces are trying to say, right. well, maybe not in this way. Everybody's allowed to protest, but not blocking the street. That, that You cannot do that. Mm. You can just stand on this square that we say that's the, the proper protest square. And, that, mm. and then suddenly you see the forces behind that, that, that you maybe don't have this freedom. Or that, right. right. If you go too far, you, then you get police crack down. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's like in my research, that's where I use um, Rosaire, right? Yeah. Um, which spaces are political and which are not? That's, that's, a, 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 that's, that's an intentional mechanism by which um, political argumentation is silenced and marginalized. They say, no, you, don't, you can't do that here. I, I think it's um, like, as you said, certain countries are now, like some countries are now enacting these laws that if you want to protest about the environment, then you're treated uh, as a yeah. profit, a for-profit organization instead of a non-profit yeah, organization. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So you lose you lose your um, your privileges as a as an NGO. Yeah, you're not really yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Society or something. Yeah, definitely. So it's it's, it's a it's a it's a way of silencing. Um, yeah. But, right. So. But it's so subtle, subtle like. There's force behind it, but it's never like direct. It's like, oh, but we we redefine you now. Yeah, but force <laughs> then, is always involved, right? Yeah, yeah. Force is always behind the stage. Even like you know it now, you're like you consent to it, but you know if if you trespass the line, then force is definitely going right. to be there. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, such a system doesn't need to always show you guns and... No. Uh, but it, it is always there. So the problem is, unless these counter-hegemonic initiatives um, are done at a scale huge enough to challenge that, they, they're always cro- cracked down on. Um, and, you know, like they, they always dissipate into, into nothing yeah. one by one. You know, that's that's the problem. It, it doesn't mean people have been have been ignoring these things. People have been protested, trying to resist, but but initiatives haven't been, I should say, galvanized because they're not interconnected. And also the way um, the the hegemonic block always works is by by enticing your intellectuals to work for it. You, you, you got the point. So, so I think that that is a, a, a heartbreaking thing that um, a lot of initiatives experience. That at certain points their leaders turn out to be really complacent. They I, they, I, they get into this resolution yeah. with <laughs> you know the hegemonic groups and say you know what um, we've we've made concessions and. Uh, but you're back to you're one of us now. <laughs> it was so that, funny yeah. that we had one time a co- occupation on a university and there were some leaders. But when it was a bit successful and these people were a bit in the media, political parties started coming in and the uh, usual institutions of normal uh, student representation came in. 
and actually some of them became in, in, went to the board of some you right some just, yeah. not all some refused but some took the opportunity to, like it was a good career move to be a leader exactly of, of a, no exactly that's the thing you know in in the case of authoritarian governments they say you know what we're going to make your leader the prime minister so <laughs> they're going to reinforce the same system it's not it turns out you know i think we should always be careful that such initiatives wouldn't end up being uh, manifestations of you know socio-economic and political interests of the elite leaders when concessions are made at the elite levels then they dwindle mm. you know they say okay we're gonna we're gonna let your leaders join us become board members and do mm. this and that and then they turn out to be you know one of them right. so, so th that's 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 one thing that we need to keep an eye mm. an eye out on that if you, you know it, it that's the way it works sometimes it works through economic means sometimes it works through this um elite concession um you know giving some some positions um hey, yeah so now we must make the decision if we want to go on make this a two-hour podcast maybe even <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's I, so interesting i want to go on um, and the problem is uh well it's it's we somebody's can. office and <laughs> <laughs> people need to work oh well, you can edit we me can continue yeah yeah so maybe we can do another podcast not too soon but at some yeah, point we can, no we can always discuss you know that's and the have another angle because yeah. it's exactly. really interesting and we have lots more to say about this maybe yeah maybe a second episode yeah because this is already an hour and 40 minutes yeah and we said that we already wanted to we wanted to less. lesson <laughs> yes yeah, like 30 no, minutes even more than yeah yeah like so maybe we can already make yeah. two of them yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. maxim's was already two yeah too so we long. already have four already. episodes <laughs> Four episodes. Okay. <laughs> so you mean two from Maxim? Yeah, two? yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Okay. Wow. Part but yeah, it's. Um, Did you like it? Oh yeah, we. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. We need. We need to. It's, I think. I think it's uh, the 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 activist aspect of of education, right? Um, right. Yeah. I, I think some they do it at s some places, some universities. I have to say, the only ones I've heard, uh, I've, all, I've listened to their podcast, what they do is just they call uh, someone to present, like mm. we do in the usual seminars, the usual conferences, yeah. and they record that. Sometimes they ask some biographical questions. Yeah. Mm. There's that. Yeah. So, that's an initiative, guys. Yeah. That's a global initiative. Wow. <laughs> You heard it first here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the yeah, revolution stuff. Yes. <laughs> exactly. We can we can uh, think of um, and we haven't been endorsed <laughs> yet. So No, no, we still You see that's that's another that was, that yeah. what we said from the beginning, no. Okay. That's but who knows? Like, we said no don't accept any offers <laughs> yet. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apart from the espresso, we're making very Thank you very much, Pisra. Thank you, Graham, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for providing the office. You made uh, really wonderful contributions to yes. the discussions. Yes.